Please join me by opening your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. In 2 Corinthians 5, right before Paul describes the church's ministry of reconciliation, he makes this statement in verses 10 and 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, look at verses 10 and 11 with me. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others, but what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. Now, have you draw your attention to the screen which has those very verses uh, in the New King James Version. And I'll draw your attention to the second verse starting with knowing. Do you see knowing? Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord. That word terror can be defined as terror as it is in the New King James, or fear as it is in 2 Corinthians 5 in the English Standard Version. But the idea is understanding that there is an impending judgment that every man will face. Men, women, children, believers and unbelievers, we will all stand before the Lord Jesus. All judgment has been committed unto the Son. And because we know that everyone will stand before that judgment of the Lord Jesus, we recognize the importance of warning them. Warning them of being prepared for that day of judgment. We understand this. We recognize the gravity. Later on in this chapter, 2 Corinthians 5, this mission of being ambassadors and being having had committed to us the ministry of reconciliation, this mission is so intertwined into God's purposes that it can be said in verse 20, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. As though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Can you see the fervent passion of Paul and his companions about bringing the Gospel to a group of people that need to turn from their sin and turn to God for salvation, for forgiveness of sin, and for the granting of eternal righteousness and eternal life. The reason he's so passionate is this is the mission of God. He's at work saving a people for himself. And because... The opposite of pleading people to repent of their sin and turn to Christ is to leave them unaware of their plight. I want you to listen to these words. A few segments from Jonathan Edwards' sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. I decided not to put them on the screen because there's just so many words, it'd be hard to follow through. Just, Just listen. Just a few segments. He write or he spoke. Almost every natural man that hears of hell flatters himself that he shall escape it. 
He depends upon himself for his own security. He flatters himself in what he has done, in what he is now doing, or what he intends to do. Everyone lays out matters in his own mind, how he shall avoid damnation, and flatters himself that he, is con- uh, that he contrives well for himself, and that he s- his schemes will not fall. They hear indeed that there are but few saved, and that the greater part of men that have died heretofore are gone to hell. But each one imagines that he lays out matters better than his own escape, uh, for his own escape than others have done. He does not intend to come to that place of torment. He says within himself that he intends to take effectual care and to order matters so for himself as to not fail. That's one section. I want to read another as well. That the reason why they are not fallen already and do not fall now is only that God's appointed time has not come. For it is said that when that due time or appointed time comes, their foot shall slide. Then they shall be left to fall as they are inclined by their own weight. God will not hold them up in these slippery places any longer, but will let them go. And then, at that very instant, they shall fall into destruction as he that stands on such slippery declining ground and on the edge of a pit, he cannot stand alone. When he is let go, he immediately falls and is lost. And in one final section, the bow of God's wrath is bent and the arrow made ready on the string and justice bends the arrow at your heart and strains the bow and it is nothing but the mere pleasure of God and that of an angry God without any promise or obligation at all that keeps the arrow one moment from being made drunk with your blood. Believers, to rejoice as we should in our salvation through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, we must understand the gravity of the plight that awaited us in our natural condition. To truly enjoy the statements we're about to read, we have to understand the gravity of these statements. To read, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We must understand the condemnation under which we resided for so many years of our lives. The wrath of God, as it were, were impending, ready to break through because of our sin. We have offended by our sin a holy God. We are rightly, we rightly stood, past tense believer, under the righteous, eternal wrath of a holy God. To truly rejoice, we must understand our plight in our natural condition. 
In other words, if we had not received the gracious salvation of God, we were headed for certain condemnation. But, as the redeemed of the Lord, we will never, we will never experience condemnation for it has been absorbed by our Savior, Jesus Christ. He absorbed that condemnation in our place. God did not simply sweep away, as it were, our sins, hide them under a rug, cast them off into the deepest part of the sea. No. No, those sins have been accounted for. And the Lord Jesus, pure as He is, pure as He was, was charged guilty. Guilty of those sins. And in my place, condemned He stood. So, understanding the gravity of where we are in our natural condition, and understanding the glory of the forgiveness we've received, and the the grace of the righteousness attributed to our account, and the eternal life that awaits us. We rejoice with the fullness of our being, understanding just what we've been saved from. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for those who walk not according to the flesh, but according to to the Spirit. What a gracious God we have. Take a look now, please, at Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. We come now in our study to perhaps the greatest chapter of the greatest book in the midst of the only book that God ever wrote. Romans chapter 8. And it is with a deep gravity that I lead you in a study of this jewel of sacred Scripture. Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set in the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, 
He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. But for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. For I consider the suffering of this present time not to be worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed in us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves. We have the first fruits of the Spirit. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this, we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, Who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all. How will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the One who died. More than that, who was raised. Who was at the right hand of God. Who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Yeah. May I just simply say, I couldn't have said anything better. Those are the words of God. In Romans chapter 8, the word pneuma, the word for spirit, is used 21 times. 
19 of those times it is used to refer to the Holy Spirit. That is approximately a little less than one out of two verses. One out of two. Every other verse essentially is going to tell us about the Spirit of God. By comparison, 1 Corinthians 12 mentions the Spirit a little more than one out of three times. Now you know that 1 Corinthians 12 is a chapter about spiritual gifts. The Holy Spirit working in people for the glory of God. So we have before us a chapter that tells us about the work and ministry of the Spirit in believers. What the Spirit does for believers. Douglas Moo, a commentator, writes that uh, it is the blessings and privileges conferred on believers by the Spirit that are the theme of this chapter. This chapter gives the believer absolute confidence, hope, hope, confident expectation about what is to come. This is a chapter on hope. It's a chapter of assurance. It begins with no condemnation, and it ends with no separation. In between, in between these glorious truths, we learn of our sure inheritance, our sure redemption. We learn that our whole being will be redeemed. We learn that the Spirit enables us to obey, dwells in us, helps us to put off the passions of our flesh. He leads us. He cries out through us. And He prays for us. We also learn that the Lord Jesus is our means of escaping condemnation because He was condemned in our place. That the Lord Jesus is the aim of Christian conduct. We're being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. We learn that the Lord Jesus is also praying for us. And that He is the basis of our being securely enveloped in God's love. We learn that God is for us. God is for us. Are you a believer? God is for you. He is for you. And if God is for you, who or what can stand against us? Well, a lot. A lot can stand against us, but they can't truly stand. They can't truly stand. Oh, they can come up. They, they can rear their ugly heads. They can have all their ill intentions. But if God is for you, who can thwart His will? The answer is no one. Brothers and sisters, we should memorize and meditate on Romans chapter 8. You might say, I can't memorize. I can tell you this, you can try. You can try. And I would say, you should try. Not so that you can recite it to your neighbor, though that's helpful, 
Not so you can recite it to a fellow believer in Christ, though that's helpful. Because we need these truths to, to impact our day and our week and our month and our year and our lives. God's Word richly abounding within us. We need this truth. This is a jewel for us. There is a therefore at the beginning of this chapter. And it ensures that we look backwards in the book of Romans. He is not moving forward. He's actually bringing to conclusion a thought that he started in chapter 5. He's been teaching us since chapter 5 about the fact that we have been justified by faith in Christ. And through that justification, we have this glorious hope that awaits us. Chapter 8 brings to conclusion that section of chapter 5 that Paul began. In chapter 5, Paul taught us that we have peace with God. In verse 1. Because we have been justified by His blood. In verse 9. Which resulted in a condition of reconciliation. Taking two parties that were at war and bringing them into harmony. Now, in order to be in harmony with a holy, perfect God, He doesn't come down. He raises us up. We don't tarnish Him. He purifies us. And He does that through the blood of Jesus Christ. In the second half of Romans chapter 5, Paul taught us about the change of standing that takes place upon justification. We were condemned in Adam. We were condemned in Adam. That's our natural condition. But upon faith in Christ, we have been justified as a free gift. And that free gift leads to eternal life in verse 21. In chapter 6, Paul taught us about the problem of our sin. In chapter 7, he taught us about the problem of our flesh as demonstrated and provoked by the law. In chapter 8, he will teach us about the solution to these problems. And he will provide us with assurance. So for the time remaining this morning, we will focus upon this truth. A relationship with Jesus Christ eliminates the possibility of condemnation. A relationship with Jesus Christ eliminates the possibility of condemnation. I'm going to give you right now the outline for today and next week. It's pretty simple. The first two words of each one of these outline points is not condemned. In verse 1, we'll notice that we are not condemned. Why? Because we are united with Jesus Christ. Then in verse 3, we'll recognize that we are not condemned. We'll talk about this this morning. God sent Jesus Christ to condemn sin. We'll finish that point next week and also cover these next two. Not condemned, 
God's Spirit sets us free from verse 2. And then not condemned, God fulfills the law in us through His Spirit according to verse 4. So, this morning, we are going to dive in mainly to the first one, briefly to the second. Is it still up there? So, mainly on the first one, briefly in the second, and next week we'll finish point number two and verses, uh, then numbers three and four. See where we're headed? What's the big idea? Can you see the big idea? Not condemned if we're believer. If you have not yet come to know Jesus as your Savior, that's not true of you. Instead it would read condemned because you are not united to Christ. Condemned. Because while Jesus was sent by, the, by God to condemn sin, you're not a participant in it. Condemned. Because God has not set you free through His Spirit. Condemned. Because God does not fulfill His law in you through His Spirit. You must come Christ. You must turn from your sin and you must believe. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. But believer, you're not condemned. Verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation. The word Condemnation there comes from the Greek word katakrima. Katakrima. It's used three times in the New Testament. You ready for this? This is important. We're not going to look back there. I'm just going to let you know so you have an understanding. It's used three times in the New Testament. It's used in Romans chapter 5, verses 16 and 18, and in Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. He is tying Romans chapter 5 and Romans chapter 8 together. He is letting us know he's bringing to conclusion that thought. There are other words and we're going to see a couple of them that he could have used here, but he chose katakrima in both Romans 8:1 as well as Romans 5:16 and 18. We were condemned in our natural condition. We are not condemned in Christ. This is the reality. Take a look with me now at John chapter 3, the Gospel of John chapter 3. You're familiar with this passage. Who doesn't know John 3.16? Well, there are some people that don't. Let's end that malady. Let's be part of the solution to people not knowing John 3.16. You have Facebook, Twitter, MyFace, whatever you call your, your thing, Snapchat, blah, blah, blah thing. You know what they all are. Use them. John 3.16 is easy to communicate. The world needs to know. John 3.16 and following, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned. Whoever believes in Him 
is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already. Why? Because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. That word condemned in verse 18 is the Greek term krino. It means judged. Judged. So this brings us to an important question that you know the answer to, but we are going to refresh ourselves so we are prepared to communicate with our neighbors and we are uh, assured within ourselves. What is necessary to avoid condemnation? Well, this text answers it very clearly, starting in verse 3. John 3, verse 3. Jesus answered him. Who's the him? Nicodemus. The teacher, the rabbi of Israel, a pronounced, pro, uh, renowned teacher in the people, uh, among the people of Israel, among this religious grouping, he comes to Jesus. How do I have eternal life? How do I enter the kingdom of God? Verse 3, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is, say it with me please, born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Look at verse 5. Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Verse 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. He tells us we must be born again and He defines that that being born again as believing. Look please at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We were there already earlier this morning. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, what we will recognize is that we need righteousness. We need to be born again. In 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17, God's Word says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Verse 21, For our sake, He, meaning God the Father, made Him, God the Son, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. We need to be born again. We need righteousness. One more text on this. Romans chapter 6. Take a left. You're in 2 Corinthians. Go through 1 Corinthians and you'll find Romans again. Romans chapter 6. We need to be united with Christ. See, those that are not condemned are those who are united with Christ. Now, you don't have to unite yourself to Christ. You can't. God does that. He places you into Christ. It's called the baptism of the Spirit. It takes place at the moment of salvation. The moment you come to recognize your sin, the gravity of your sin, the consequence of your sin, and you see the solution. Jesus came, lived perfectly, and laid His life down as a once-for-all satisfying sacrifice for your sin was buried 
and rose again the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. You, you recognize your sin, its consequence, but you recognize that Jesus paid a price so that your sin could be removed from you and His righteousness could be added at the moment that you turn from your sin and turn to Him for salvation. When you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you are placed into Christ. You are united with Christ. You don't do the uniting. God does the uniting. What is the demonstration of it? You believe. You believe. God opens our eyes like He did Lydia. God makes it makes us aware like He has so many millions before us. God brings us from spiritual death, Ephesians 2, to spiritual life, Ephesians 2. This work of God is glorious and it is demonstrated by faith. Take a look, please, at Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 4. We were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been, say it please with me, united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be, say it with me please, united with Him in a resurrection like His. Well, what is the outcome of all of this? Verse 23, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. Where is that found? In Christ Jesus our Lord. What's necessary to avoid condemnation? I must be born again. I need righteousness. I must be united together with Christ. In that union with Christ, all my sin is absorbed. All of Jesus' righteousness is added. And the result is no condemnation. It's eternal glory with God. Why is it so important to avoid condemnation? Let's get a taste. Let's get a taste from the Scriptures. It's hard to taste these things. It evokes within us really difficult feelings as we think of people that have not come to know Christ. We must. We must understand this. We must feel this. For our gratitude... And so that God will plead through us as agents of His. Agents of reconciliation. Take a look with me please at Romans chapter 2. Why is it so important to avoid condemnation? Why does it matter? We come to Romans chapter 8 and it says, There is therefore now no condemnation. Why does that matter? It matters because we, when we see what condemnation is, we understand that we want no part of it. Romans chapter 2, beginning in verse 5. But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up what? Wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, He will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, that's everyone, by the way, there will be wrath 
and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also to the Greek. Have you ever sinned? Well, the Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That is our plight without Christ. That's where I deserve to be. That's where you deserve to be. That's where our neighbor deserves to be. That's where my great-grandmama deserves to be. And it's where my little, universe, my little unicorn deserves to be. My little baby girl, without Christ, outside of the saving work of Jesus Christ, she deserves the wrath of God because she's a sinner. A sinner who in their own natural resources will turn from God time again, time and again, time and again. Those who are in the flesh, they're hostile to God. They don't set their minds to do the things of the law. In fact, they cannot. Take a look now at Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. Indignation and wrath. It's what I deserve. I know I look older than this, but I am 44 years old. Yeah, I know. 44 years old. I've been a pastor since I was 25 and the senior pastor of this church since I was 26. I was preparing for ministry since I was about 16. More than half my life has been spent in preparing for and fulfilling ministry. I deserve the wrath of God. I deserve to be condemned. That's what I deserve. That's what I've earned. My earnings set me outside of the realm of Christ. Which is why we are so grateful for mercy and so grateful for grace because God in His mercy has forgiven my sin and God in His grace has granted me righteousness. And so while I deserve condemnation, there is no condemnation. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter if you've been a drunkard. It doesn't matter if you've had an abortion. It doesn't matter if you've murdered someone. Those Specific elements are not the determining factor of condemnation or no condemnation. Will you recognize your sin? Will you turn from your sin? Will you turn to Jesus Christ and receive from Him life? The alternative is to stand condemned and listen to the words of Jesus in Mark chapter 9, beginning in verse 42. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. 
If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than to have two hands to go to hell to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone outside of Christ will be salted with fire. Now the call, Jesus is not telling you to cut off your arm or your foot or your eye. He's setting up a hyperbole so that you understand that health in this life matters nothing compared to what is to come. So don't poke your eye out, friend. Don't cut your arm off or your foot. Turn to Christ. Turn to Christ. And you will not be condemned. You won't be condemned with the world. Condemnation. The Bible says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 9, it'll be on the screen, and I want you to think about this. These are hard words. Those that have disobeyed the gospel is the, is the context. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. Now, a person might say, oh good, Oh good, I don't want to be with him anyway. In fact, during the chapters of the book of Revelation where God is pouring out wrath on the earth, there are people that that call out to the rocks and the cliffs to say, fall on us and hide us from this wrath. I don't want anything to do with him. You might say, oh good. But let me just tell you, if you don't know the Lord Jesus and you feel good, I don't want to be in His presence anyway, you've never been a moment in your life outside of God's presence. He is everywhere. You don't know what it's like to not be in a place that is filled with His glory. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The whole earth is filled with His glory. You don't know what it's like. What a horrible, horrible thought. Jesus calls hell a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth, and He calls it outer darkness. Therefore, when Romans chapter 8 opens up, and the very first word you come to in the Greek text is no. It's the very first word. No. No what? No condemnation. No condemnation. We are filled with joy unspeakable and full of glory to know that we have been saved from the wrath of God that we deserve. When we see there is therefore now no condemnation, we rejoice. We will never, we will never under any circumstance face condemnation or punishment. But who? Who will not face condemnation or punishment? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so we say, no condemnation for me. Why? Because I am united with Christ. One day I will stand before Him. And I will stand before Him 
and, and I, the, the scene looks like something like this, I'm going to look him in the eye. Or the eyes. Look him in the eyes. But I will not be standing there dressed in Rob's righteous robes. I'll be standing there dressed in his. The judge is the one who provided those righteous robes. Will he accept his own righteous deeds? The answer is yes. 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 Because I am in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. Head back to Romans, please. Those who are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. We'll see that in verse 4 next week. How does one come to the place of being in Christ Jesus? Well, we've been talking about it. I just keep on bringing it up. We've already talked about we must be born again. We must receive the righteousness of Christ. We must be united with Christ. To, to put it in a different way while you're turning back to Romans, John chapter 1, verses 12 and following says this, But to all who did receive Him, because His own did not receive Him, to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. These are those who are born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. It is the constant call of the New Testament to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Not condemned, we are united with Christ. Secondly, and briefly, wow, look at that, time flies when you're having fun. We're going to have a little fun right now. Some of you are going to be mad at me, but it'll be okay. Um, no, not condemned, God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to condemn sin. All right. Are you ready? I want to put something up on the board for you that I understand you won't be able to read. There it is. I'd like to talk you through that for just a moment. And it's, it, there is a point to it, so don't just get... Um, you know, this isn't like, ooh, I can, I can wow you with Greek, because I know most of you don't want to see it anyway. So I'm not trying to impress you. I'm trying to help. All right. It says, ta. That's an article. Gar. That's a preposition. For. For. Adunatan is not able. For not able. We're following me so far? All right. Tau numu. That's the law. For not able the law. N O get the those nice things. Um, that's because of through which the law was weakened. It's that word there that I'm not going to say for you because you can't read it anyway. In that the law was weakened, and then it says dia. You see the d looking thing? Dia tes sarcos. Through the flesh. The reason I want you to see this, this is glorious, for unable the law because of the weakness of the flesh. You see, everyone can read this now. Ha theos. The God. 
The God. It doesn't say the God did, the God was, the God is, the God not. It says the God. It says the for your flesh was unable to keep the law. God. That's it. This is reminiscent. You were dead in your trespasses and sins and the uncircumcision of your heart. He goes on and on and on. You, you were following the ways of the world. You were, you were the, uh, following the prince of the power of the air. You walked in as sons of disobedience. The wrath comes. And then it says, but God! But God! We have the same thing right here. He says, you were weak. You were unable. It's not the law. The law is not the problem. You're the problem. I'm the problem. But God is not the problem. God is the solution. The God. What, what, well, what about the God? Well, so here's the... For what the law was unable to do in that it was weak through the flesh, God. What did God do? Now, in, in my version, it starts, for God has done what the law. For God has done. But the word done isn't there. It just says God. But what did He do? He does, it does tell us what He did. It says He sent His only Son. How did He send Him? In the likeness of sinful flesh. Why did He send Him? For a sin offering. God sent Him in the likeness of sinful flesh for a sin offering. Why? So that He could condemn sin in the flesh. God condemned sin in the flesh of Christ. He came in the likeness of sinful flesh. That doesn't mean He sinned. He was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. God sent His Son into the world to do what? To become a sin offering. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. He came as a sin offering. Now we've, we've talked about this passage many times. In fact, last Sunday night even, our brother David in, in our Gospel Project, as, as he concluded, brought this passage up. It's, it's, it's such an important part of understanding our salvation. Take a look at Romans chapter 3. This will be our final passage for this morning. Romans chapter 3. God sent His Son as a sin offering. While you're turning there, I'll remind you of truths that you know and statements that you know. Jesus is the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the earth. Jesus, as John the Baptist said, is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. While the law was weak to bring us to a place of right standing with God, a standing of no condemnation, the law could not do that. The law only brings condemnation. God, where the law could not bring rescue, God brought rescue. How did He do it? By sending His Son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering. God condemned sin in Jesus' flesh. Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 24. You're all justified. Those believers are justified by His grace as a gift. How? through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forth as a, say it with me, ready? Propitiation. That word is translated in the book of Hebrews as a mercy seat. Every year the high priest would go in with the blood and he would sprinkle it. And God, in response to that obedient 
act as a representative of the people, God would be appeased. His, his, his wrath against their sin would be satisfied. But it needed to be satisfied again every year. Jesus, as our mercy seat, propitiation, satisfies God's wrath eternally for our sin. You'll never face God's wrath if you're a believer. You'll never face condemnation if you're a believer because Jesus was sent. Verse 25, whom God put forth as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. That was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance, His patience, He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. See, You see how this is letting you know clearly that God doesn't just sweep sin away. He condemned sin in the flesh. He dealt with sin. He accounted for sin in the flesh of His Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the sacrificial Lamb. Through His flesh, He put an end to the condemnation that sin deserves. For whom? For whom? For all who call upon the name of the Lord. This morning, you can rejoice with us in this. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Today, he says, in an acceptable time, I have heard you. And in the day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. My friend, I don't, I don't know where you stand. Can you rejoice? Can you rejoice in the statement, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus? Can you rejoice because you know that you're in Him? That you'll never face punishment? You'll never face condemnation? Do you know? If you don't know, today is the day. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Turn to Him. He will grant you forgiveness. God will declare you righteous because of the work of Jesus Christ. This is just the beginning of Romans chapter 8. We have so much to rejoice in together. So much going on around us, brothers and sisters. So much going on within us. You can't touch this. You can't touch this. You're good. We can face uncertain days. Why? Because we know He lives. And because He lives, I know I'm going to live. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, Your Word is good and You are great. Help us. Help us to rejoice in You. I pray for anyone listening, watching, that does not know Jesus as their Savior, please draw them to Yourself. Help them to understand. 
that they might call upon the name of the Lord Jesus and be saved. In Jesus' name, amen.